a little bit hard to see in this uh, light uh, sanctuary. But if you were here last week, you know that I'm sort of hung up on Drew Scheip's uh, fascinating illustration uh, that she uh, prepared for this um, series in 1 Corinthians. We're called In Growing Pains. Actually, I learned this is a sculpture that she did, and then she kind of took a, a picture of the outline of it. But the key, if you'll notice, again, is look at the top of this scaffolding, and what you'll see is a very cute little building with a cross on the top. Aha! We have a church. The problem is, while it's a nice little church, it's about ready to fall over, because there's nothing under it. There's no foundation. And what Drew has done is actually capture the heart of what, what Paul's passion is as he write this book, writes this book we call 1 Corinthians. Yeah, there are a lot of personal problems that he deals with. But the heart of it is, what is going on with, with your church, folks? You know, you're all happy with your nice little building, but the whole thing is about to fall apart because you don't have anything underneath the most fundamental things you've ignored. And I hope that's a concern, uh, I'm sure it is, for most of you here. I mean, you've invested in this congregation we call Liberty Fairmount. You have to be concerned that we have a solid church. I think that's the good way to put it. Um, That it's really not going to collapse as pretty as it might be, as all the nice stuff that we like about it. But that underneath, it's solid. It's not going anywhere. In fact, it's going to grow. The key question, therefore, and again, I want you to look at the text, is really where it ends up. Look at the question that Paul answers in verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you, you guys, you are that temple. Now, Paul's asking this as a question because he says, you know, maybe you don't know this. And that's how I want to put it out to you. Maybe you haven't caught on to what the church is. I know it took me a while to figure it out. So I'm going to, I'm going to dwell on this this morning. Now, what is particularly important as we kind of get started in this discussion is to realize that what the apostle is describing here is the church, that is the community. Um, I know we're from all sorts of different backgrounds and different ways we've grown up. Uh, I, I've told you I didn't grow up in any kind of a church family at all, but when I first became a believer a thousand years ago, um, I was in a very strict church, and one of the things they wanted to make sure that we didn't do was to smoke. And so the way in which we were convinced that we shouldn't smoke was this, was this verse, actually, that they quote, Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And, of course, then they would say, You don't want to pollute the temple, did you? Well, in fact, there is a verse later in 1 Corinthians, because apparently the people of Corinth felt like 
If their soul was converted, their body was something they could do anything at all they wanted with. That's the Greek way of thinking, even to the point of visiting prostitutes. I mean, after all, why does God care what I do with my body? And that's what sex is all about. It's something you do with your body. My soul belongs to Jesus. And so Paul does say in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, don't you know that your body, yeah, your physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's, a, that's an appropriate way to understand the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells with every believer. But the problem, at least, that I encountered in my own journey was that every time the, the temple is referred to, people think of it as just you personally. And even when you read these verses, and perhaps they're new to you, perhaps you're familiar with them, but how do you build? Would you use gold and silver and precious stones, as Laura just read, and so forth? And it was always taken, I've heard talks, you know, what about your personal life? Are you personally uh, building with gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble? What's your life all about? Well, again, that's that's valid idea, but this is not what the passage is about. And you can't, you can't take the Bible and just simply make it mean what you want it to mean. You've got to let the Bible speak to you as far as what what is intended and what Paul wants the Corinthians to know and I would say what he wants us to know this morning is my friends do you understand this that you you Corinthian church you Liberty Fairmount church you are actually the temple of God And so again, these verses that talk about how do you how do you sow um, verses eight and nine, for example, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. That's talking about the guys who'd come and and done ministry among them, the missionaries, Paul or Apollos. You see, these the people that they were kind of fussing over. Um, Verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Again, it's not talking about your personal life. That's true. But what this is saying is really, frankly, for a guy like me, what, what has my ministry done for the welfare of the church and someday I will have to deal with and, and answer to God for that. And I trust when I stand before the judgment and my work is judged, and that means my ministry, how I've invested for 40-some years now in the life of the church. Have, has it all just been kind of fluff, or has it been substantial? And there is a place, let me say, to recognize that while, yes, we're all fellow Christians in the body of Christ, that God does some call some out and set them apart to do his ministry of building up the whole church. And we need to respect that and honor that. Um, You don't just kind of willy-nilly run the church the way you think it ought to be run. You don't do it in just a human way. You try to run and build your church in a way that is, is prescribed by God. Um, and, and part of that is, is setting apart and honoring and respecting and appreciating those who are called to be teachers. 
Paul's going to talk about that more, actually, in the next chapter, so we won't go into it this morning. But an interesting example will be the fact that next Sunday, your preacher will be Mike Suh. Now, Mike is a great guy, and we all recognize that, but there's more to it than that. Mike, like Dwayne Davis, has been through a series of examinations, trials, we call them as Presbyterians. Is he really fit to be a, a leader and a teacher in Christ's church? And in the end, the, the body that kind of where we report to called the Presbytery says, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's, he, he's been examined and we respect him and therefore we grant him what's called a license to preach. And uh, these men are licensed. And therefore, it's not just, well, let's see who we can have to preach this Sunday. But Mike, for example, is, is licensed. And therefore, we say, Mike, will you come and speak? Now, parenthetically, it, it introduces an interesting complication because the kind of the next step after being licensed is being ordained. And one of the, one of the ways you recognize a man being set apart for ordination is that he's the one who administers the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and Communion. So, we're in a little bit of a bind. Actually, both Glenn and I, who have been ordained as ministers, will be away next week. So I'm kind of scrambling to find some uh, ordained pastor to come and lead in Communion. So I'm confident we're going to find somebody, but uh, you might be meeting somebody new next week. But that's why we're doing that. We're saying, no, it's someone who's set apart and ordained that should be leading this uh, communion meal. Well, let's get back, though, to this whole idea of building up a solid church. What does it take? Well, again, if you go back to the passage with me, first of all, I talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, First of all, you have to have a foundation for a solid church, and there's only one foundation that you can have. It's there in verse 11. Notice again how the Apostle describes his own ministry as the guy who came in and laid the foundation. According, verse 10, I'll read, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else, other leaders, is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. And then this important statement, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Not that I expect any of you would argue with this point, but just to make it. There is no foundation for a solid church other than an emphasis and a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. You can do all sorts of other things, but if you begin to move away from Jesus, you've, you've lost your foundation. You're kind of up in that scary territory that is uh, pictured in, uh, in Drew's picture. But the second thing that we're, come to, we're coming to this week is this awareness that if we are the church that God is building, we are in fact the temple of God. And I'm assuming for a moment that when Paul says, do you know this? Is this a new idea for you? That for many of you, it is a new idea. As I said before, I don't think I thought about church this way for a long time. And actually, it was was this study of 1 Corinthians that I did several years ago that impressed this upon me. That this is not not just you and Jesus. 
But you've got to think about what is the church. So let me, let me take a few minutes and explain to you this idea of a temple. One of the most important ideas in the whole of the Bible. If you go back early on, you remember the story of Moses bringing God's people out of Egypt. The Red Sea was parted, right? They walked out. They came to Mount Sinai, which is where God had said to bring his people. And, and from the top of this holy mountain, God spoke. And the earth shook, and the lightning was crashing, and the people were terrified. And God himself, from the mountain, spoke the Ten Commandments. But after he spoke the Ten Commandments, he, he was talking to Moses, and he said, Now, Moses, I want you to build a tent, because I'm going to come and dwell in the midst of my people. Now, get this, because this is the heart of what this is all about. God himself, the almighty Lord of all creation, not only lives in heaven and in all of creation, as extraordinary as that is, but he also chooses to live with his people. And so you had a lot of detail of explanation, because after all, God is holy. You don't just say, yo, God. I mean, he's the holy one. And so, and so there's all sorts of ways with the priest, with the blood sacrifice, with all sorts of rules and regulations by which you had to be careful in the way in which you approach God. And a lot of us read those, and it's a, it's a lot of stuff. Believe me, I still remember, as I've told you, I, just, I started out with no Bible knowledge at all. And I thought, once I became a believer, you know, one of the things I ought to do is read the Bible. And so I started in. Have you ever done this? I'm going to read the Bible. Well, I pick it up just like, I guess you read the Bible like you read any other book, and you start at the beginning, and you open up the Bible, and it starts out with Genesis. And uh, God created the world. Wow, that's, that's kind of neat. And Adam and Eve, oh, yeah, I'd heard of those people. And Cain and Abel and the flood of Noah. Hey, this is, this is fascinating. Great stuff. Abraham, who kind of starts to kill his son up on the mountain. And then Joseph. And, and uh, there's even seduction in the Bible, you know, where Potiphar's wife tries to seduce this guy. And he remains faithful. And all these great stories. And then you come to Exodus. And uh, I said, man, Bible reading is wonderful. Moses, you know, they put him in the... Uh, out in the river and Pharaoh rescues him and then all the plagues and all of that stuff that goes on and the Ten Commandments and God shaking the mountain and all of that stuff. And then I hit all these <laughs> rules and regulations about priests and sacrifices. And i got to admit, my enthusiasm for reading the Bible sort of began to slow down a little bit. And somewhere in Leviticus, I sort of got lost. And unfortunately, for, you know, fortunately, I've sort of begun to figure some stuff out after about 50-some years now, I guess. But I missed the point. I missed the point. And here, here is the point. Yes, you've got to be holy. You've got to come with blood sacrifices. But why? Because God himself has come to live among you. 
you get that? This is the kind of God you have. A holy God, but who also is willing to be close to you. And so, in fact, they built the temple. Or they built the tabernacle, it was called. It was just a tent. Why a tent? Because where were God's people living? In tents. Where was God going to live? In a tent. They knew they didn't limit God. But what an amazing thing. And so, in fact, they did all the stuff that God said to do. And then they prayed a prayer of dedication. And God did come. He came in an extraordinary, majestic way. And his glory, it says, filled the tabernacle. And the people were just blown away and they backed off. And no one could come near because God was there. But for 40 years, with all the mess-ups and the struggles that they did, they could always say, we know where God is. He was always in the middle of the camp. He was always there. And fast forward a few years, and they finally came into the land, and they built houses, and, and King David conquered the city of Jerusalem, which is where God's city wanted to live. And you can read about God coming to David and say, okay, David, it's time. I need a house. But you can't build it because you're a man of blood, but uh, your son will build it. And you have what's called the great temple of Solomon, right? And the same thing happened. All the rules, the regulation, the holy of holies, it's called, where only the high priest could go, and even he could only go once a year. And they prayed the prayer of dedication. Oh God, we know that nothing can contain you. You're the God of all eternity, of sovereignty. But oh Lord, would it please you to come, as you've said, and live in our midst. And he did. And God came with such power and majesty. The Bible says everyone had to run away. But the fact, and again, that can, that can in one sense put you off. But on the other hand, what the Israelite people understood was, God is with us. Yeah, he's up there. Yes, he's everywhere. He rules all the nations, but he's our God and he lives here. And a lot of the psalms that we sing on Sunday mornings, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. You know, a lot of those wonderful psalms. I can't wait to come to the house of God. But what did that mean? It wasn't simply I want to look at a building. But I want to be where God is. And I know where God is because I can come to the temple. And I can meet with God. Yes, I come with blood. I come with the sacrifice. I come through a priest. But I'm coming to meet with God. Well, let me fast forward a few hundred more years because Israel totally blows it. This is really the story of the unfolding of the Old Testament. And God says, finally he's fed up. And he sends them off into exile. But the ultimate mark of his displeasure is that he allows the temple to be destroyed. Absolutely flat down to the ground. And his people are away for 70 years. They finally are allowed to come back. What's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to rebuild the temple, which they do. It's called the second temple in Jewish history. And they did all the right things. And they built, it was nothing like the first temple, but it, you know, it still followed the same basic pattern and so forth. And the time came to pray the prayer. And they bowed and they prayed, Oh Lord, 
God, the glorious God of all creation, would you now come as you've done before and dwell in the midst of your people? And they prayed. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And nothing happened. Talk about feeling abandoned. This is what made them different. Was we have a God who lives in our midst and now he's gone. Well, a prophet stood up. You can read this little bitty prophet named Haggai. And Haggai said, friends, I know your heart is broken. I know you're waiting for God to come, but I want to tell you something. Something even more glorious that all that Israel has experienced is going to happen at this temple. And in fact, if you fast forward a few hundred more years, that is exactly the building that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to dwell at. And so the greater glory, the greater glory was Jesus himself, God come in the flesh, God among us. But there was more going on. And that is God was already preparing the day for a new kind of temple. Not a building anymore. But people. And no longer simply Jews. But Jews and Gentiles. People from China. People from Africa. People from Europe. People from America. People from Bhutan. All over the world. God is bringing his people to himself and dwelling in their midst. Let me just show you one text and then we'll come back. Obviously, this is what what we're talking about here. But those of you with Bibles, if you'll turn ahead a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2, the rest of you can listen. That's page 977 of the Bibles there in in the seats. And let me read the end of chapter 2. Because this is such an important idea. Verse 18. Just finish up the thought. For through him, that is through Jesus, who went to the cross for us, we both, that means Jews and Gentiles, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, that is, Jews and Gentiles separate. But we're all one people. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. 1 Corinthians, he was the prophet. Here he's the cornerstone, same idea. And here it is, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Where does the Almighty God live? Right now, when he's on the earth. If I read the Bible, 
It says right here in this room. Look around for a minute. All these strange collection of people. (laughs) Are you kidding? It's a little more than I can take in. All I want to say is, will you agree with me that this is exactly what the apostle is saying in this scripture? And I want to ask you, is this how you understand your church? A hundred ways to look at the church, but this is what is front and center before us. We are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, but we are the place where God dwells by the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you get this? I know I'm dwelling on this because it it takes a while to sink in. But this is precisely what the Bible teaches about the church and about Liberty Church. You get it? Well, apparently the Corinthians weren't getting it. This is the problem that you begin to read about in these verses. And that takes me back to the first part of the text where he where he really tries to get the Corinthians to pay attention to what he's trying to say to them. Just follow those first few verses. But I, brothers, and the word brother here is is not brother in the male sense of the word, of course. Um, the old-fashioned word probably would have been better. I, brethren, because it, he's referring to men as well as women. When he calls us brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, at this point in his discussion, that's not a problem. When he came to them about five years earlier, that's who they were. They were just kind of babies. They were just taking it in. He expected that. I fed you with milk, verse 2, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. But here's the kick in the stomach. And even now, you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and other says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Okay, when you start out in the whole matter of a faith walk, you start out as babies. That's okay. But Paul's now writing maybe five years later, and he says, you're still there. You still haven't grown. You still don't get this idea of what the church is all about. That's really where he goes with this. I can't talk to you as spiritual people. You're still caught up in your 
in the death throes of your fleshly way of looking at things. And here's, the, here's simply the question that I want to put before us this morning. Is that you? Honestly, I want every one of you to ask yourself. I'm not making this as an accusation. Paul certainly does here in Corinthians. But I want to ask you individually to look into your own heart. When Paul says, you were a baby five years ago, a baby in your spiritual life, but you're still there. Nothing's happened. Is that you? And I honestly mean it. I'm asking it as a question for all of us, not to point any fingers, because I don't know the answer to that question. You see, if we're believers in Jesus, we always know we need to grow, and we're never satisfied. I hope you're not satisfied. I hope you wouldn't say, oh, no, I'm great. I'm, I'm just becoming the perfect Christian. Well, if I'd say if they say that, that's another set of problems. But, but I also think you, can, you and I can look at our own heart and, and, and answer the question, are you pretty much where you were in a spiritual sense, in your understanding of Christ, in your walk with Christ, in your life of prayer? Are you pretty much in the same place you were five years ago? Are you still a baby? And if you say, yeah, then we, then we have to say, where do we go from here? And I tried to give that some thought. And I guess we could come up with a long list. But I, I just have a couple of thoughts, and then we'll, we'll close. I know I see those Liberty fans working like crazy. I know it's, I know it's warm. So just, just follow me on a couple of thoughts. How do we kind of get off the dime, if that's the way to put it? How do we begin to move on? If we, if we have to say in our hearts, or, or really it's true for all of us, I need to grow. Kind of where do, where do I take this? Where do I go from here? The first thing I would, I would really say to you is that the, the most important thing you could possibly do is to say to God, Lord, I need to grow. Honestly, just to pray, Lord, help me grow. And the way in which you pray that is with the word that you find all through the Bible Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. Think about Jesus' words. What is, it to, what is eternal life? Eternal life, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So to come into the faith is to know Christ. We use that phrase, don't we? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? That's where you start. But then what is your prayer? Lord, I want to know you. I know you, but I want to know you. And all through the Bible, that is prayed over and over and over and over. We could find a hundred examples of that. Until you come to the very end of Paul's life, for example. He's about to die. And he says, you know what I want more than anything else? 
I want to know Christ. Take everything I've done, dump it in the junk pile. Uses even stronger language than that. Except for one thing, I want to know Christ. And so that's my challenge to you, to, to just to begin to pray, Lord, I want to know you. God loves that prayer. He answered that. He is a God who comes close to his people. And frankly, if you're here and saying, oh, you know what, I don't, I'm not that interested. But you would say, oh, I'm a believer. This is the way people use the phrase, I've accepted Jesus. I guess I'm covered. My sins are forgiven. But I really don't want to go anywhere with that. I don't want to grow. Friends, I just want to ask you to examine yourself. That's kind of a fake kind of Christianity. A genuine person who follows, who, lo- who knows Christ, who believes in Christ, follows Christ. He's his disciple. And I challenge you with that. So pray that you would grow. And the second thing I would say is become invested in a church that's committed to helping you grow. A church built on the foundation of Jesus, alive in the Holy Spirit. Great change takes place, really, when you find that kind of a church. I've had any number of you say to me, this is what liberty's done for me. I found a place where I can grow. Think about it. What dynamics are going on when you have a church full of people saying, I want to grow. Lord Jesus, help me grow. Help us grow together. Help us to become more and more centered in Christ. But we're growing up together in him. That's the heart of what it is to be a church. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? Oh, get a hold of that. Join us now in the communion where we really reaffirm that the only foundation on which we stand is Jesus himself. But together we are, in fact, the temple of the Holy Spirit where God dwells. Let us come to the Lord and his table as a way of reaffirming that great fact. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what an amazing thing that you who inhabit all of eternity would dwell in the midst of it of an unworthy people such as we are. But, oh, I pray, Lord, that you would grant that Liberty Fairmount, as a church, each one of us as members of that church, as part of that church, would be on solid ground, not about to topple over, not flimsy, but let us to be solid on the foundation of Jesus Christ, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, What an amazing truth. Give us your grace to hold on to that, we pray. We celebrate that now as we come to this meal. Remembering who Jesus is and what he has done for us. In his name we pray this. Amen.